are alive, amen? I think we are. We made it to summer. COVID hasn't got you. So uh, praise God. We are glad that you are here. What a blessing. And uh, for those of you joining online, thank you for being with us uh, for these many days. We are talking about how to gather and how to be a spiritual family. Now, if you know me, or if you've been part of our church for any time at all, you know there is one thing that I love, and that is I love church. I not only love church, but I love this church. I love people. I do. I just love people. I love people. I love uh, the Word of God, and I love to connect the two. I love to try to be a blessing to people. I desperately plan and hope to do that. This week, uh, a man I didn't know, I just met, uh, asked me a, a kind of a pointed question, a question I was happy to be able to answer. And he said uh, to me, he said, uh, what got you into the ministry? I mean, what got you to the point where you would give your life to be a pastor? I think for him, he was thinking, man, that's kind of a crazy thing to do for all your life. But he looked at me and figured, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. And I said, well, uh, honestly, it really wasn't my plan. And I, you know this, if you know me, it's not, wasn't my plan A. I um, I graduated from high school, uh, had a pre-med uh, scholarship, a state scholarship, California State Scholarship, and was headed off to uh, Loma Linda University down in the Riverside area. But uh, while I was uh, waiting for a semester there, I decided to go to Bible college just to kind of get a little training and just kind of hang out and get ready for the rest of my life. And while I was there, God just began to work on my heart so powerfully. And I, one of the scriptures God used was when Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And I realized, you know, as a physician, it's a great career. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, but if I patch somebody up, give them a new gizzard or whatever, you know, and they live for, that's technical talk right there. Yeah, you have to go to medical college to get that one. But uh, if I, uh, if I patch them up for a few months and they live a few more years, well, that's a good thing. But bless God, if I could help them live eternally, I just couldn't, the thoughts of that just uh, sent me to the moon. I said, I'm, I tell you what, I want to get into the ministry. And ever since then, it has been the center of my life. And I am so grateful for the heritage. My own father, uh, after he was newly saved, it didn't take him long uh, he got born again when he was 26 up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, he wasn't but a few months. He just resigned. Uh, his job went down to Bible Institute of Los Angeles, sat at the feet of the great uh, J. Vernon McGee, late great Bible teacher, and, and my dad got so excited about serving, God didn't even finish Bible college. He just said, I'm out of here. And, uh, um, but he got out there and started uh, six churches, and I was such a uh, heritage the Lord allowed me to be part of. and In fact, I was born uh, in Vancouver, Washington. Dad had just planted a church there, and uh, I was even born on Sunday. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, no hope for me. I, church has been my life ever since. And church is the place where I learned the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Church is the place where I learned what a life of integrity looks like. 
church is the place where I met my life partner, my first wife, Lynette. Bless her, she got an early retirement, and she's in heaven right now. And, but it's the place where I also had the incredible privilege of finding love the second time in my beautiful wife, pretty Pauline. And I will tell you, it is a thrill to be in church because all the great events of my life, my children have been raised in church. It's the place where I am raising my grandchildren. It's the place where I have met all the greatest friends that I've had. And I will tell you this, the greatest people, hands down, I've ever met in my life are right here in this room. Great, unbelievable people. It's that place. Unbelievable. All my planning, for the most part, 99% of it is all about things related to the church. Now, I said all that to simply say this. I do not understand people who don't love church. I can't understand why you wouldn't want to assemble with God's people. Recently, uh, a man uh, said to me, he said, you know what, I, I really like the church I've been going to. I said, really? Tell me about it. He said, well, they have a Saturday night service. And he said, the pastor promises never to preach more than 20 minutes. I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. And uh, he said, he promises never to preach more than 20 minutes. He said, it's so great because I am in there and out of there less than an hour. He said, and it doesn't mess up my Sunday. Woo, I don't even know what to say about something like that. I just thought, what in the world? What else would you do with a Sunday if you don't go to church? Man, come in the morning, come back in the evening. Sunday is the Lord's day. I tell you what, I just love, thank God for the church. It has been such a tremendous blessing to my life, my family, uh, my marriage, you name it. And I will tell you something, church blesses a nation. And there has never been a time when a nation needed Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches than now. Now is the time a nation needs churches. Man, I'm telling you, these governors ought to just say, go to church, everybody. What it would have been like if they'd say, you know what, let's pray together. Let's go into this building and pray together. It is just baffling to me why they would want to restrict God-fearing gatherings. Because gatherings are what a church is all about. It's the very heart of New Testament Christianity, and I believe it's the very health of a nation. And so today... We're going to begin, uh, or a second part, I plan to make this a three-part series. We began last week, The Gathering Place, but this uh, part one of the title this morning, and that is Five Essentials of Church Membership. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed. Father, we thank you. I bless you, Lord. I praise you. I honor your name. I'm so grateful for these people, Lord, these faithful people, and Lord, we're trying to be good citizens. We're trying to be helpful people, and I just pray you'd bless us, Lord, and I pray that you'd give us your mind on this subject. And for those that are listening right now, and for those later who by tape, Lord, would you just speak to them, Holy Spirit, in a very unique and special way. You will speak to them that it's time to step up, and I'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's review what we talked about last week, and that is that church is about assembling. It's the very essence of church. Gathering isn't just a nice thing to do. It is what church is. Folks, 
if you don't gather, you don't have church. Because that's exactly what the word means. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering. It means assembly. Now, we talked last week how the churches in the New Testament gathered regular. Uh, Originally, they actually did it daily. And then they uh, began to honor the first day of the week as the day of the resurrection. And they met on the Sunday. Even the word Sunday, the English word Sunday means circle. It means to basically circle together. Then they met specifically at a specific place. They would go to a place. They didn't just float around. They went to a place. It may be been, in some cases, homes or might have been little other areas, but oftentimes they met largely. In fact, we are told in the book of Acts that they had so many people there in Jerusalem, they met in the courtyard of, of the temple and uh, in a place called Solomon's Portico. There they went in this thousands of people met together for church. Thousands of people in the same area, all meeting together, a mass gathering. They met distinctly. And that is that there are things that a church can do that nothing else can do. People, well, I just go to church at home. No, you, that didn't work. I, there's a part of it can work, yes. And in case where someone, of course, uh, has medical situation, then that's one thing. But there are one another's in Scripture, over 100 of them in the New Testament, meaning there's something you can only do with one another. That means you can't do them in private. You can't sing to one another unless you have a double personality or something. I don't know. The fact is, they are things that we can only do in church. Now, for those of you that are listening, I know there are many of you that would love to be here this morning. You don't feel comfortable yet, and... uh, That's fine. If you feel like you need a couple more weeks, then we'll give you a couple more. That's all, though, because uh, we love you so much, we just can't wait to see you. And I will say this, if some of you are out there and uh, you need us to make your coming back a little more comfortable, we'll do it. Our deacons are ready. We have lounge chairs ready for you. We have little blankets, and uh, we have remote controls like that. You can just turn me on and turn me off. It's not going to work, but we'll give you one. And... uh, so really, whatever we can do to make your stay more comfortable, we want to do it. Some man told me this week, he said, Pastor, he said, I shouldn't tell you this. But he said, I was watching you from my bed on Sunday. But he said, the air conditioner was going so much, I had to pull my blanket up. I said, man, I am calling you out on Sunday. And so I am right now. I'm calling you out. What kind of a person does that? But anyway, um, but you take your time. We love you. We can't wait for you to return. Now, why church? First of all, gathering is a pattern. It is a New Testament pattern to be actively involved. Not Saturday night for 30 minutes, but actively involved. It is a clear Bible pattern. You cannot get away from the fact that the New Testament, it is abundantly clear that they were baptized, then they were added to the church, and then they assembled regular. Folks, that's not a real complicated formula, but that is a Bible formula. And yet you would think with such a low percentage of people going to church that they're just like, whoo, over their head. Folks, that is the Bible way to do things. They gathered together in recognizable groups with numbers and pastors. That's exactly what the New Testament said on the day of Pentecost 
Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, they that gladly received the word. Folks, they got saved. They received it. The word's always out there. They just got to receive it. Then what did they do? They got baptized. They got baptized. They didn't, baptism wasn't part of getting saved, but it was certainly almost as though. I mean, you look in the New Testament. I can see why some of these folks attach baptism to salvation. It's not part of it. But I can see why people get it there because an unbaptized Christian was unheard of. I mean, if you became a Christian, you got baptized. That's just what you did back in the New Testament. There is no such thing as people getting saved and then getting baptized, you know, months away or years away. No, they would. In fact, here in Acts chapter 2, they got baptized on the same day. I mean, imagine if we're out there telling someone about Jesus Christ, they accept Christ as their Savior, say, get in my car, we're going on down to the church, and pastor's going to baptize you. Right there. I mean, that's what they did. It says they added to them 3,000 souls. Now, how do you know it was 3,000 souls? Because Beth McCarthy was there. She was taking down the names. What is your name? She was taking down that name, taking that, that, that name. And the next day, Peter said, uh, how many did we have, Beth? And uh, she said, 3,000. All right. You got all their names? Of course I got all their names. And she put them down there. And she, she, he said, all right, now we got we to gotta distribute them to the pastors because they're sheep. And they're not, that's just what you do. Let's, let's make sure that everybody gets connected to a flock. Because there was a flock in Nazareth. There was a, a flock in nearby Bethlehem. And so the shepherds, pastors is that Greek word. And so they would then shepherd the flock. The point being, they assembled. They came together, a clearly identified group. The pastor knew who his sheep were. And many people don't even know who their pastor is. And I've met people who say, well, yeah, I go to that church. Well, you know that church over there, the, the, the church out there on 99. Okay, what's the pastor? I don't know. You don't know your shepherd's name? Come on now. You must, I guarantee it, then either something's a problem. There's a, there's a disconnection here. Because if you were a sheep, you ought to know your shepherd. And the shepherd ought to know you. I mean, as best you can. Sometimes in a large church, it's always hard to remember a person's name, but you know them. And I, I wish I could, you know, spend one minute with everybody. But on an average Sunday, that would take three hours into the afternoon just to spend one minute chatting after church. But we, we still love each other, and you, uh, you know that I'm your pastor, and you know I'm your shepherd, and I know you're my people. It is the biblical model to gather together. In fact, they were so um, much about the gathering that if they heard that a believer was leaving, they had to move, they would send a letter with them. They would actually send a letter. Why? Because when you go to the new place, we know you're going to go to church. I mean, there's no doubt that you're not going to move to Nazareth from here from Jerusalem and not go to church. I mean, that's of course what you're going to do. And so the new shepherd needs to be introduced to you, needs to know you're a person has good moral character, and you're a person who they can count on, and uh, you know, just some things that they might want to know. And it's a way to connect with the pastor, with your shepherd, and with your church. That's what you do. You don't float. No such thing as floating. In fact, the Apostle Paul, at least four different times, talked about writing a letter. He introduced the church to Timothy, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and then in Romans 16, and then in 2 Corinthians 8 and the Philippians 2. The fact was, everybody had a flock that was saved. 
No such thing as sheep running around without a shepherd. Folks, that's unnatural. That's weird. That doesn't happen. When sheep are together, they have a shepherd. They're in groups. That's the way it works. And so there's no such thing as a floater. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You remember the story. You can turn there in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Jesus, this was the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had gone up to the beautiful Mount of Olives, and there's a point, and for those of you out here, some are going to uh, the Holy Land from our church in the spring, and I hope you get to go to the Mount of Olives. When you go there, there's a certain point where you can look down and all over Jerusalem, eastern Jerusalem, and especially you can see the temple there. And so in Jesus' day, that beautiful gold uh, ceiling and a gold roof there was gleaming. So it was a beautiful morning. There he was. He was looking. The beautiful blue sky, Judean sky. The birds were chirping away. Olive trees were there in the Mount of Olives. The Valley of Kidron was there right before the big wall. And it must have been a beautiful moment. And yet we find Jesus weeping. Why was he weeping? When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. The other Gospels say he was weeping because they fainted and were what? Scattered. Say that with me. They were what? Scattered. They were scattered. They weren't gathered. They were scattered. They were like sheep having no shepherd. A sheep that doesn't have a shepherd, that's a bad thing. It's a sad thing. It's a thing to weep over. Jesus said, without a shepherd, they're just going to be running everywhere. And that's exactly what was happening. I mean, it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful scene. But he was weeping because everybody was running around like the chicken with their heads cut off. Crazy. Folks, that's exactly what's happening in America today. We all running around crazy. Everybody's running around. That's because we're not having the gatherings. The gatherings together is something to weep over. They gathered. They didn't shelter. They gathered. They didn't roam. They didn't drift. They gathered. The Bible pattern is very clear. We are to gather. We are then to identify with a specific congregation, and then we are to commit ourselves to that for the glory of God. Some people say, well, pastor, I would love to do that. And I also know you might be listening here and say, when I get things all square, when I get things kind of cleared up, you can count on me. I'm going to be in church. But let me just say, first of all, you better come as you are because I'm not so sure that you're going to get everything perfect. Because if you're like the rest of us, we never get everything all perfect. You come as you are. You come just as you can. Second of all, church is not a museum. Amen. Church is a hospital. And we're supposed to go. We're not going there to show off. We're going there because we're sick. I mean, imagine a person saying, when I get well, I'm going to the hospital. Bless God, I'm going there. I'm going to perform. But in the meantime, I'm going to perform surgery on myself. Folks, we're supposed to go there as we are. We sing the song, Just As I Am. That's exactly right, folks. We are all a work in progress. I mean, none of us are completed. I saw a sign the other day outside of one of the buildings that said, under construction. I thought, amen, that's what we are, aren't we? We are under construction. And uh, our, our wonderful carpenter, Jesus, the best carpenter there is, he has got his file and he's working on us, but we're under construction. I remind you that when Paul got saved, 
the infamous Saul, I guarantee you, he had some struggles with the thought of gathering with God's people. We know that because uh, he touched on that during some of the epistles that he wrote. He was wondering, you know, I wonder if I'll be accepted. I mean, I'm such a sinner. In fact, I'm not just a sinner. I'm a sinner of sinners. In fact, he said, I'm the greatest sinner that there ever was. People say, well, I can't believe that person going to church. They've been so sinful. Well, that's the best place to be. You go to church. When you're sinful, you go to church. You go to church when you're not sinful, but that's where you go. And that's what Saul was saying. He was saying, you know what? I just, I don't know. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Well, I love what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, turn, turn to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, or you can see it here, but Isaiah 1 and verse 18. I mean, no prophet preached any more about sin than Isaiah. I mean, this guy was, he cut, he cut the grass short. I mean, he scalped it. Well, I'll tell you one thing, but when it came to coming to God, he said, you come as you are. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. I'm glad it's in the first chapter. Come what? Now. Say that with me. What? Come what? Now. Come now. Come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Come now. With your sins like scarlet, you come now. Well, I couldn't go to church. My, I'm too big of a sinner. Come now with my sins like scarlet. I mean, it didn't get any deeper and, and darker than that. And Jesus said, I'll make him as white as snow. People say, well, I wouldn't want to come to your church. I'd mess it all up. If you know the background of all, all our people, you'd, you'd blush. You'd blush. You'd say, man, I don't know. That's some crazy stuff there. Those people, yes, amen. That's all of us. But we come now. First century Christians were gatherers, but they were also declarers. They would get baptized. They would publicly announce. And back then, baptism was basically a community announcement. You might as well just put it on the community bulletin board. I went, I got off the fence, and I got saved, and I am now baptized, and I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I go to church, you're going to have to pay a price. Somebody told me this week they got a little pushback from work because they said, you went to church? All those diseased people over there? Well, no. Well, guess what? Oh, you came to work? You were at Costco this week with 500 diseased people. You shouldn't come to work. Oh, folks, come on now. Get off the fence and get baptized. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13, Jesus got baptized. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized of him. Wait, wait, I thought baptism was a wonderful picture that we are uh, leaving our old sins, we are leaving them under the blood, we're walking in a new life. I thought it was a picture of getting saved. It is. Well, then why did Jesus get baptized? Well, and that's exactly what John the Baptist thought. He thought, wait a second, I'm not baptizing you. That's ridiculous. Look what Jesus said in verse 15. Jesus answering said to him, suffer it now. It's an old English way of saying, allow it. I'll allow it. You should allow it. And listen to what it says. But for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. The most becoming thing 
When you are a becoming person, you have a nice personality or you look nice, it's becoming to you. You might look at someone and look at their dress and say, that's very becoming to you. Jesus said the most becoming thing for a Christian is to get baptized. Baptism looks good on you. It sure looked good on Jesus. The tragic thing today in the American church, many American churches feel like it is unbecoming. In fact, so many churches now are deprioritizing public declarations like baptism in public gatherings. Why? Because it looks a little hardcore. And we don't want people acting hardcore at church because it might scare people off. How sad. Folks, an ungathered, unbaptized Christian in the New Testament was unheard of. And I will tell you what's tragic. This three-month church closing has been for many believers just nothing to them. It's, you know, I mean, they don't go to church anyway, and so it means nothing to them. And they kind of wonder why people would want to go to church. And I will tell you, it has been alarming, ominous. I'm even wondering what in the world, who is talking to these governmental leaders? They have been specifically calling out Christian um, uh, practices. I mean, specifically, like saying, uh, you shouldn't baptize. What? You shouldn't baptize. You shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. You shouldn't sing loud. And you shouldn't recite. And so I gave some consideration to those things for about three milliseconds. And I said, uh, no, we're not going <laughs> to, you, you want us to not baptize and you want us to not preach and <laughs> really? Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, when in the world did we get the idea that serving God and doing God things and Bible things can possibly be something that is bad. You'd say, well, you might die. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If I've died getting baptized, that'd be a pretty good way to go right there. And I'll tell you this much, it'd be a wonderful example of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, a tremendous uh, picture. But um, (laughs) for, you know, the truth is for too many people, I mean, church involvement is nothing to them anyway. I mean, what's the big point? They're not actively involved anyway. I mean, to them, church is fast food. Grab and go. <laughs> Run on down to the you know, corner, get yourself a little kale salad, and get out of here. You know? But the home church, man, I'll tell you what, we, my wife and I, every once in a while, we go to it's about my favorite restaurant. We went to the Texas Roadhouse. Now, this, is not a, this is not an advertisement for the Texas Roadhouse, but I will tell you, we went there. The home church is like the Texas Roadhouse. It's not, it's not a fast food where you go get a little kale salad. I'm telling you, there's biscuits and there's ribs. I mean, tell you folks, you're going to get a meal when you come to the home church. Now, if you, uh, you want a kale salad, you can run up the road there. There's a pastor up the road who has a little skirt on, and uh, she'll, she'll make sure you get a little kale salad. But if you want a ribeye, come on down to the home church and get, a, get a, something from God, get the Word of God and get something from God. And I, I know I shouldn't say that, but, uh, and someone reminded me, said, Pastor, I just want to remind you, you've been putting makeup on lately for that TV, so <laughs> I know that, but, and we're not going to talk about that. Anyway, um, my, what, the, the, yeah, thank you. Well, the day I start wearing a skirt, though, is going to be trouble. And uh, the, um, now I will tell you, folks, there is an there is an overwhelming trend. The point I'm trying to make is 
There's a trend, and it's not just the last three months. I'm talking about months. I'm talking about years. The trend is don't get baptized. Don't get, don't become a member. I mean, I, I still, it's, I am, I am incredulous. Why would somebody not want to join the church? I, I don't get it. I mean, well, so I'm not ready. I mean, it takes 10 years to get ready. Come on now. Find you a place where they got good old ribeye. I mean, a good, healthy um, uh, meal from the Word of God, some, uh, some meat of the Word, and go there. Now, if you're a kale salad kind of person, go on down there where the, the others are, but get there and become part of that church and get involved and get busy. I'll tell you something, if we don't do it, if we don't do something about what's going on in America, in the American church, it will not be long until we're going to be just like they are in Europe. It wasn't but a few generations ago when the UK was the hotbed of revival. And today, I'm telling you what, it's like the North Pole there. It is so frigid for the things of God. And I'm telling you what, if the, church, if the churches don't rise up and say, the, you, the best thing you can do with your life is to get involved in a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. Put your family there. Put yourself there. Support it. Get behind it. It is a clear pattern of the New Testament to gather and to belong. Number two, it is not only a pattern, it is a partnership. The New Testament details that when a person became a believer, they became part of it. It wasn't a loose affiliation. It was a uh, on-fire partnership. The gathering of the Lord Jesus Christ with His people is a common shared spiritual existence. Paul kept pushing for the people, get into a church, get into a church, get into fellowship. It is important to fellowship. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. How many would say amen to that? God is faithful. God is a faithful God. By whom ye were what? Called. What? Called unto fellowship. He said, listen to me. This is not just a if you can. When it's convenient. If it works out. You are called to fellowship. It is a calling on your life. People say about a pastor, well, that's his calling. It is. But we also have a calling to fellowship. What kind of fellowship? The fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, when you fellowship with God's people here on earth, it is a public picture of the great fellowship that we have with God and we will have throughout all of eternity. And so fellowship now and be a picture of that great eternal fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship there is koinonia. It is a popular word in the Christian circle, and sometimes I don't know that we really understand it, but it simply means partnership. Partnership. God wants us to give that, say, put our hand out and put a hug around someone and say, we join together. And that's what it says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 9. You may remember sometimes we have our new members class. After we have to have our class, we give people the right hand to fellowship. Well, that's a biblical thing. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, 
They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of what? Fellowship. They drew us in. They drew us in. Come in. Fellowship. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that because that just, you know, it's kind of scary, you know. What are they going to require of me if I become a member or, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that go through their mind. But the fact is, folks, once we get saved, we are supposed to be part of a fellowship. We're a sheep and we're, as sheep, we're supposed to have a pastor. We're supposed to have fellow people that we work together with. It is a calling. It is a partnership. In Hebrews chapter 10, God said, it is something that you do for others. Others, look at chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider one another. Provoke them unto love and to good works. That is to to, uh, just encourage them and to um, kindle in them a desire. Look what it says, provoke unto them love, Help them to feel loved. Help them to go out and do something good for their life. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling. That's the word ecclesia. The the churching, the gathering. Don't forsake the gathering as the manner of some is. Isn't that something? They were fighting uh, avoid gatherings back then. Some people felt like, you know, a little too much work to get on down there. Or maybe, you know, what are the leaders going to think? Or what is my boss going to think, or my uh, leader, my owner, you know, who's, I'm a slave, or, uh, you know, just too much work to go on down there to be with everybody, or maybe be ashamed of what, you know, getting all their family and walking all down to the assembly, because they were going to have to make a big statement. But it says, as we see the day coming, the coming of Christ, it says so much the more. Now, I will tell you, and you know this is true, the, the, the American church has having less and less services and shorter and shorter services in direct violation of what Scripture says. Scripture says all the more, the more, not the less, the more, as you see the day approaching. God said, you don't do it just for yourself because you're doing it to provoke somebody else. And we don't know what just our presence can do. Even our presence or just a, a brief word of prayer while we're sitting in the audience and we think of somebody and we pray for them, or maybe just uh, reaching out. I remember one precious lady many years ago, she had lost her mom, and I uh, chatted with her for a few moments, and I didn't, didn't even know that I did it, but inadvertently I reached out and touched her elbow and just told her, I'll be praying for you. I want you to know God's going to be there for you. Later, she wrote me a letter, and she said, Pastor, I want you to know. She said, of all the things that happened on Sunday, when you touched my elbow, I felt like Jesus touched me. I said, I don't know what it was. I just felt like Jesus, that the minute you did that, it's just like Jesus saying, it's going to be okay. It's, and folks, we don't know what just a small thing might be like, just a smile to somebody, just a word to somebody. That's why God said we provoke them unto good works and to love. We make them, it, provoke means to, in, to bring up, to, to incite. We just bring up love in somebody when you just reach out to them and say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister, in the Lord. That's why, folks, I, I can't understand. If I am physically able, I'm there. I mean, I'm in church. 
I, I cannot understand why an able-bodied person who is not working aren't just beating the doors down to come to church. I mean, honestly, I mean, if you say, we'll have church, let's go, brother, let's go. Come on, let's get on down there to the church. That's the greatest thing there is. We are called to fellowship. We are called into a koinonia, as the word is, a partnership. It's more than just, well, I got to go to church. Folks, we are provoking love. These, when we were, Pastor Luke mentioned Vanuatu. Vanuatu is a small little South Pacific island, one of the least developed islands, or actually least developed countries in the world. I mean, it is like... Um, 70, 80 percent just uh, rural, and uh, most of them live in the jungles, and it's, uh, they, they don't have very much, I will tell you. I cannot, I cannot still, uh, it's still a vision in my mind walking to that person's uh, hut there, and they, one of the villages, I mean, they had nothing. When I say nothing, they had nothing. I mean, zero. Not a pillow, not a blanket, not a stitch of clothing, not a chair, Nothing. And I said, what do they do? And they, he said, they just lay on, the, on that bamboo. I said, that's what they do? He said, yep. And uh, they didn't have a lot of clothes, but what they did, I mean, they had nothing. And yet, at Luganville Baptist Church there in, in uh, Vanuatu, Brother Panero, don't you love that good uh, Aussie, uh, uh, Kiwi, uh, Vanuatu accent? But anyway, um, when they have church, they come from all over. And I, we were in that church there and preaching away. And I mean, tell you, they're all singing just, and they, they have a, a, what they call pigeon English. And they, uh, singing is sing, sing. And so, boy, when they sing, sing, I mean, it's just beautiful. And th those precious saints of God, just so happy about, they love church. And that's the way God's people ought to be. Maybe we have too much. Maybe we have too many campers. Maybe we have too, many, uh, too much money. We can just go here. Maybe we have too many guns and too many fishing rods and too many golfing clubs. And maybe we have too much that we don't need God as much anymore. And so God said, all right, we'll just take church away from you. Just take it right out of your hands. I tell you what, I thank God for the home church. We, we had so many people saying, man, I can't wait to come back and look at this place here. And all beautifully socially distant uh, people and uh, loving each other. I mean, it's just wonderful. Here you are and out there really socially distant. And, but bless God, we know we need each other. And, and uh, we are here today because we are doing it for others. Charles D. Meigs. Uh, grandson of the great uh, professor and grandson of the great uh, obstetrician at the turn of the 18th century, who uh, was the one who uh, uh, encouraged people to have good health and good cleanliness. But his grandson became a powerful Christian and a great hymn writer in the mid-1800s, Charles D. Meigs. He wrote one of the most beautiful poems. I love it. It's my favorite, I think. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to be ever sincere and true. All know that I do, I do for you. Must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise a 
gain unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while still thinking of others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me live for others that I might live like thee. That's why we go to church. So why I don't need it. You don't go to church for myself. We go to church for others. Others, Lord. Others. It's a partnership. It is koinonia. Listeners, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers. Well, I'm not sure about that. We're a little strange. But now, therefore, ye are no more strangers or foreigners, but are fellow citizens. You became a citizen with the saints. In fact, more than that, you became part of the household of God. The Apostle Paul said, I was a stranger flopping around, going here, going there. I was homeless. I was a homeless person until Jesus saved me. And then I got a home. In fact, he said, I got a new nation. I became a citizen. And when you become a citizen, there are expectations. Have you ever heard the vow that a new citizen takes? We have several in our church who have become citizens. And you made this vow. Bless their heart, those hardworking people who go through all the process to become citizens. Let me read it to you quickly. Here's what every new citizen quotes as an oath with their hand raised. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or of which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to all the same, that I will bear harms on behalf of the United States when required by law, and I shall take this obligation freely without mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. I mean, they'd take an oath. I promise to be a citizen. Maybe we ought to start taking oaths when we get into church. Say, you know what? I'm a citizen of Jesus Christ. And for them, how beautiful and how proud it is, how beautiful it is for them to stand in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. We're standing. And those people who take those oaths, when old glory passes by, they stand. And they put their hand over their heart. I can't even imagine one of these people kneeling and not honoring God.